Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur. And if you thought he raised hell in Jersey City, boy, the My This Day music history has a whole other thing. It's Benny Horowitz. Oh, wow. Croak. Good teaser. Good teaser. That's exciting. But what's up, dude? How's it going? <laughs> oh, boy. I'm good, Danny. Coming here with the early action. You doing okay after last night? Oh, you know... Optimism show. We're bringing back optimism show oh, again, I love and it. I need it more. I need it more so today because you know what? Um, thankfully, I had other commitments that kind of kept my mind occupied. Well, you got to talk to Bradley Beal yeah, last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to talk to a. Uh, you know, there's, there's been a couple instances where I've run into these guys and 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 gotten to actually like talk to them, and they've been pretty cool. Uh, the first was, and I've talked about this on the show before, Chris Middleton, 2013, when he first came over from. Detroit, really humble guy, really cool guy to hang with. And then Bradley Beal was, you know, promoting his latest product um, in a, in one of these junkets. Got to talk to him last night and just just the coolest guy, just re- really smart. Though, this made me sad. Uh-oh. Before we got going, uh, he was talking about, he, he was like, yeah, I think the Bucks are going to whoop him tonight. And guess what didn't happen? So Bradley Beal's future as an analyst, maybe not as good. <laughs> I like to take the people behind the curtain of the tune-up a little, too. And yeah. they should know that on a normal circumstance, I enter a Zoom call to uh, to music, to <laughs> dancing. There's usually a little bit of an entry for me, some strawberries and champagne, as you, as you were. And uh, today... Since I asked for an early morning session, what do I get? No music, no dancing, just a vacuous, underslept face waiting for me in a Zoom call. That's what I get today. To take behind the curtain of the tuna. It's it, it, it's very underslept, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I didn't realize I would have to learn about roofing this morning, but hey, you know, <laughs> the tune-up audience does not care about my uh, domestic on. issues. You lose, you lose steam on the Optima episode so fast. <laughs> Optimism episode. Well, you know what's <laughs> fucking great? You know what's the best thing we'd probably do? Let's tell get me, into this day me. music history. Do, 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 do. And Danny, just for you, I chose something with no... No real world importance <laughs> and only something that makes me laugh. Okay. So on this day in 2017, it's not an old one. Mm-hmm. The radio station Mansfield 1032 in England mm-hmm. is hijacked mm-hmm. by a transmitter hacker who engages in some uh, shenanigans <laughs> saying, I'm a wanker. I'm a wanker <laughs> in a Nottinghamshire accent before playing the Winkers song by Ebor Biggin, which is a song about self-pleasure that repeats the phrase over and over. Now, apparently, adding to the story, it's the eighth time the culprit has taken over the station's airwaves to broadcast this one song. But this eighth time, for some reason, it got a lot of media attention uh, as it was taking place live when when a lot of people were listening to 103.2 Mansfield. And apparently a vehicle sent by the government with very sophisticated equipment to find the hijacker failed because he couldn't be caught in the act. (laughs) So this guy has successfully hijacked a guy. I'm assuming I'm just assuming this is a male has hijacked into this radio station eight times to play this song. Now, as the good investigative journalist, I am, I went ahead and found the lyrics to this song. Mm -hmm. 
Of course, I've never heard the song The Winkers Song by Evor Biggin. Evor. But it's true. First chorus, I'm a wanker, I'm a wanker, and it does me good like it bloody well should. I'm a wanker, I'm a wanker, and I'm always pulling my putt. That's the first chorus. Um, wait, there was another. Oh, here's another impressive second chorus, okay? Oh, Mrs. Palm and your lovely five daughters. Thank you for having me and being oh so kind. I've got pains in my arms and my dong is growing shorter. My knees have turned to water and I think I'm going blind. I've wanked over Italy. I've wanked over Spain. I've wanked in an omnibus. I've even had a wank in a train. I've used a badger and a melon and a cat, an inflatable Linda Lovelace and a Davy Crockett hat. This guy's Dr. Seuss. I'm saying <laughs> this is poetry and I'm glad the people of Mansfield have heard it. So this is my funny, this day in music history. I'm into more songs about masturbation. I appreciate when they're done a little more cleverly than this, Yeah. but also I suppose they don't have the same impact, you know, that's true though. How do you feel about, uh, that Harry Styles song, watermelon sugar? That's a, uh, it's not quite nope. masturbation, but it's, you know, it's uh, it's about an, a, a certain fixation. Does Harry Styles have sex with watermelons? No, he's just like, is that what he's getting at? No, he's 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 uh he's uh oh boy, I you know I've I've backed myself. Danny, into the Danny, game. don't step out of your wheelhouse too far. But listen, <laughs> remember, I've been around. I have met well, people yeah, who fuck course, watermelons kids. before. Okay, it you have happens. proof that you've had sex. Huh? I said you have kids. You have proof that you have sex. <laughs> <laughs> At least twice. At least twice in my life. Yeah. All of my interactions are just hearsay. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Benny, on on this day in 1955, that's right, we're taking it way back in the DeLorean. Bill Haley and his comments were denied permission to play at the Roosevelt Stadium here in Jersey City. Uh, a city or ordinance was passed that read rock and roll music encouraged juvenile delinquency and inspired young females in lewd bathing suits to perform obscene dances on the city's beaches. Now, my big takeaway <laughs> from this is I didn't realize that Jersey City had beaches. Yeah, what's what's going on there? So, so shout out. And this was this came a few days after uh, Bill Haley and the comments had an incident down in Asbury Park. So, keeping it very wow. local, but. Um, boy, those guys used to raise hell, but probably their definition of raising hell in 1955 is like a regular Friday night on Newark Ave. Yeah, I'd say <laughs> way less than that. I mean, but yeah, I'd, I really would love to hear what these uh, Jersey City beaches they've been taking in are. <laughs> is, that, is that what happened before they built the office buildings down there? It used yeah. to be... Uh, just beaches just, just summer beaches i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's interesting i didn't realize that you know, you know this optimism episode but this is historically important like when they put in like the holland tunnel that took out like like a thriving working working class community there as has happened when eisenhower did his thing your um, people got screwed when they built the holland tunnel that yeah, was the old yeah, irish yeah. neighborhood down there so yeah. that's that's Amazing to learn about the history of this town and especially on this day in music history. So lovely. All right, Benny, let's get into our first headline today. We got a couple music headlines uh, that are and a couple Hollywood, and then we're going to get to our basketball talk today. But first up, Benny, a Norwegian company is preparing what they say is a doomsday vault intended to preserve a huge variety of music 
spanning over the last 50 to 60 years to try to preserve it. The group in, in Oslo is, is intending to build this vault way beneath the Arctic Circle up there in Scandinavia. Uh, they're trying to encapsulate a thousand years of music under there so that if anything happens, we still have these music. So, Benny, I got to pose a question to you like this. What 10 albums are you putting down there to preserve forever? All right. So, tough question, okay? Obviously. Yeah. Now, there's a broad range, and if they need to restart society and learn what our music is, how, how do we how do we do it? What needs most saving? I guess I'm being hired to uh, what save rock and roll yeah. because that's my wheelhouse. But the thing I'm thinking now is like we're in a time capsule. Clearly, uh, in a time capsule format, you have to save space mm-hmm. and try to you know, add to um, put as many things as possible in there so whoever comes next finds what they need to find. Now, if that's the case, why would I limit myself to albums? Mm. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. why can't I make a series of comps? Why don't I make mixes, (laughs) mixtapes for the next uh, for the next crew to watch? Like, instead of being like, hmm, should I pick uh, Nirvana and the Beatles as my eighth one. Like, which part, historically important part of music, should I should I put together? Instead, why don't I make like my tailored mix CD yeah, of okay. rock and roll, I going from you know Little Richard and Hank Williams and Elvis into Beatles and Bob Marley and Led Zeppelin into Michael Jackson and Run DMC, Metallica and Nirvana. And we keep going. I don't know. I'd have to ask some kids today if they want me to put, you know, what fucking Imagine Dragons or something like that in. <laughs> Those are probably their favorites. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we make a nice, we make a nice series of like now compilations. Mm. We maybe give them some cool titles, maybe just for fun to throw something funny into the next stage of evolution. I'll take a series of like sexy pictures of myself wearing funny clothing to put on the covers of these mixes. It's like, ah, this must have been the king of music in this planet (laughs) or something fun like that. Wait, but I guess, you know, I don't know if the Norwegians are going to hire me. Here's what I want to do. I want to take that picture, put it on Mm -hmm. the cover of a like, like kids bop 66 and like that's that's going to be future generations definition of music. Benny Horowitz in his entire regalia, Kids Bop 66. Your Wait, why are you putting me in sexy clothes on a kid's kids on a kid's record? Don't do that. What are you, what are you Daniel Tosh? Leave me alone. Oh, oh. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, Benny, that's a great idea. You know, make make the compilation album. You know, the Norwegians are just putting black metal in there. That's that and uh um, oh man, the next world is gonna have nothing but black metal and experimental, <laughs> trippy like like avalanche music. You know, don't they have that like song competition up there in like Europe that they made that Wolf Arrow movie about where yeah. it's like you like make like the song for Europe. Eurovision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Big deal. Someone just won. I think they were Italian. Oh. They were very sexy. They had like an 80s rock look. <laughs> they were called like a main skin or something Ooh. like that. Just one. 
It's just happened the Eurovision. It's just yeah. like last week. Oh, that's uh, the Euro. Tune into it, Denny. And the Eurovision. Listen, this is called the tune up. You need to tune in to international music competitions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know. I've, I've I've been tuned into the Euro though, and uh, boy, is there it just 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 a quick aside? Is there any group that is like more insufferable when they win? than English national team fans. They're like the Knicks fans of international yeah, the, the soccer. Yeah, the Knicks fans like... of the international world, yeah. <laughs> they are, because th- that's an interesting analogy, because they are that team that had greatness yeah. at one point, gives itself credit for, like, inventing the sport, <laughs> the same way New York gives itself credit for, like, reinventing the sport, but then just suffered, like decades of insufferable terrible play and moves which uh never allowed them to be good so yeah i i actually think this is very fair england is the new york knicks of international football competition (laughs) what a strange year for sports i feel like a lot of people that haven't had success in a very long time are like getting it done this year anyway that's a that's a complete aside and which we're going to get to coming up in the basketball section in just a little bit, but I wanted to move on to a story that crossed my radar this week. And Benny HBO Max released a new trailer for a upcoming Woodstock '99 documentary called Woodstock '99: Peace, Love, and the Rage. Uh, it's, it's it's in conjunction with our friends over at Ringer Films, and it's sent, set to come out on the platform on July 23rd. It celebrates the festival that was thrown 30 years after the original Woodstock. But unlike the first one, it was completely different. Uh, a lot more moshing going on. Maybe equally as, as dirty. All captured on film here. Um, so the cultural experience is getting the documentary treatment. Um, Benny, but I just wanted to go back to your experience. What memories do you have of this happening in real time? This is why I wanted to talk about it and kind of why... I I watched the trailer to this documentary. I think it seems fine and I'm going to watch it because I'm interested. But there's one really, really large distinction I'd like to make about it, like right off the bat, Mm -hmm. which was I was an adult already when Woodstock 99 happened. You know, I was like 18. I'm in the prime, you know, uh, you know, the prime demographic of people that this Woodstock 99 was even going after. I'm like an 18, 19 year old kid from New Jersey. Like I'm supposed to be going to this thing. And, you know, the second people heard about it, I remember a lot of people talking shit and me kind of being like, yeah, cool, you know, like another Woodstock. And then I remember they released like the lineup for it. And anybody who had any sense of like, rock and roll or independent music or anything past, you know, mainstream bullshit was like, what the fuck is this thing? Like, who wants to go to that? You know, so I think right off the bat, you know, I noticed this documentary. It seems like it's going to be a real doom and gloom, crazy documentary talking about how this experience was just basically insane and on fire. Um I do think there would have been another way to look at it if you chose to. But uh, so even in, you know, a minute into this trailer, I'm noticing that it's just this idea that I think it's almost like a political uh, ideology, this trailer, because it's saying that the people who are at this show and their anger and their frustrations were boiling over so badly 
that this was the beginning of like angry white men and that like the storming of the Capitol was the culmination. There's this obviously political tie to it. And the thing I would say against that is like, you know, maybe one of the reasons we didn't have this at the first Woodstock is because those weren't like, you know, these weren't like your parents' bands. These weren't mainstream bands. There was a a cultural attache attached to the roster of the original Woodstock. These were bands like in tow that were kind of sociologically looking to do the same thing. And, and you know, on this next one, you have just like, you have pop acts, you have these pop rock acts, you have a Limp Bizkit, you know, who's screaming break stuff instead of come together. You know, I'm not saying the Beatles played Woodstock, but I, I don't think you can totally blame just this like lost, violent generation of people when you put them in a really, really awful situation that if it was treated differently may have gone better. And I would like it to be talked about more how the people who promoted this show and the people who put it together fucked up royally and made a thousand mistakes from top to bottom about putting this thing together. And that's why it failed. You know, one of the things that I learned by doing shows is that like the feeling of the show usually stems from like the top down. Same at like a wedding. Mm. You ever go to a wedding Mm. and like the people getting married, like kind of seem pissed. (laughs) Yeah. And the family kind of seems pissed. And then the wedding kind of sucks and just feels weird the whole time. And everyone's like, I don't know. Let's just get some cake and get out of here. (laughs) But when you're at the wedding where like the couple is like couple drinks in (laughs) ripping the dance floor. (laughs) You know what I mean? Things are going good. Mm -hmm. Like the whole vibe of the room just changes and it's cool. You know what I mean? And like, you know what? If you had Woodstock with like free water stations some idea of like a communal environment, like what Woodstock actually was, some idea that you're putting people together for a purpose, not just to make money, and then put the roster and constructed the roster as such, maybe it would have gone a drastically different way. So I think this is interesting. Uh, And like I said, I was there during the time and people who were really tapped into music did not fucking go to this thing, you know? So this idea that um, we were just watching some very, very obvious cultural shift play out in front of us. It feels a little cheap. Mm. Yeah, no, it feels like um, the, you know, like there's the first Woodstock and that's going to live forever. But the, I feel like the, the greed that's really seeped into whatever organization that is that puts that on, that tried that put that one on has tried to put on Woodstock 50 uh, last year to, to or the year before to celebrate the 50th anniversary and that massively failed i feel like you know and i know that there's definitely a financial component to the first one of wanting to turn a profit but i feel like that wasn't its sole intention woodstock 99 feels like if you're gonna charge four dollars for water which the documentary really beats home that they charge four dollars for water but i mean if you've gone to a game it's like kind of the same thing um but you know no the 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 money that has stepped in that gone into that organization has kind of taken a 
not pure thing, but a, a, a thing that has been nostalgia has really lifted it up. Obviously, there was a lot of issues during that that definitely went unreported. But I, I feel like trying to chase nostalgia, we've talked about that that a bunch on, on this show, uh, trying to chase nostalgia is always a dangerous thing. And that organization that keeps trying to put on these Woodstocks is chasing nostalgia. Yeah, that's true. Oh, man, you know what's funny? What's funny? I tried to set up this episode to be optimism episode, and it's just, <laughs> it, it, it just hasn't felt good to me. It just really hasn't felt optimistic. Well, you got it. You know, we're, we're laying these things out. We got to get to the silver lining. That's the thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. So the so the silver lining is the Bucks are going to lose in six. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, all right, next headline. Benny, you sent me the story from NPR, and I thought this was very interesting. So Barry Diller was a chairman and CEO of two Hollywood studios. Uh, he was the head of Paramount uh, back when they put out Saturday Night Fever. Uh, and then he was the head of 20th Century Fox. And he is declaring Hollywood and the movie industry dead, which, okay. He, he says at a recent conference, the movie business is over. I just pictured that he says it like that. Probably. Uh, the, the movie business as before is finished and will never come back. Um, he talks about the diminished quality of it. He says that uh, the streaming services and the studios now are choosing quantity over quality. Um, so he says Hollywood is dead. Benny, I don't exactly agree with this for a bunch of reasons that will lay out in a little bit. But I wanted to know what you think. Is the Hollywood that he's describing dead? Yeah, I think that's that's the, the distinction to make in his story. Like, no, Hollywood's not dead. Hmm. No, movies aren't dead. The Hollywood he knew is dead. And the way that he knew to roll out films is dead. Yeah, that I think is true. Um, so I think because of his uh, age and candor or whatever, like it came off a lot more like mah, 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 like yelling at the air or whatever. But the actual point inside of it is true. I mean, the second that these houses started doing a combined joint release to streaming services and movie theaters at the same time. And now that that's becoming a trend, that is the trend and that is the way it's going to be. And I think what movie theaters are turning into is not a vehicle to see a film anymore. It's a night out, you know, like, like now if you want to go to the movies, you spend a little more money, you buy those big cushy seats you have like a beer and some mozzarella sticks now, you know, like whatever they do in these new in these new places. And it's more of like, you know, you're kind of selling like the experience of going to the movies rather than the movies being the vehicle for the movie itself, which it used to be, you know. So I think you're going to find a lot less like fucking nerds like me <laughs> at two in the afternoon with like a bag of Reese's Pieces, like seeing something because now I can just stay on my couch and do it. And I essentially wanted to stay on my couch 10 years ago and do it. The only reason I'm going to the movies, only place I can see it. Yeah. You know? So I think that's the distinction. And he's correct in assuming that the old format is dead. The thing I don't like about it. And, you know, one of the things he talked about in the article is, uh, is the, the rollout to movies and the way that they used to do these really, detailed campaigns through many, many channels to get people hyped on a movie where you would just like, you know, 
present a logo to the world like three months before. And then it was just like, there's going to be a Batman movie. And then you don't even see a clip of it for like two more months. And then before the movie's out, you know, there's like breakfast cereal and there's like, you know, toys all over. And it's just that thing is probably dead too. the, you know, the idea that you're going to be able to package it in some, some grandiose way like that could, could be over as well. So I think uh, to stay optimistic, I don't think Diller is correct in assuming that movies are dead or the quality of movies is dead because uh, something that Diller maybe doesn't understand is that they're still made by artists and they're still made by people who have something to say and they're still made by people who have a great, great deal invested in the fact that it's beautiful or well done. So the idea that like the quality is just going to go to shit, I don't believe. I think that's just maybe his old studio head thing going like, if we don't put $300 million into this picture, it's going to be no good, you know, or like something like that. So I do, uh, I, I reject the fact that it's over, but the optimistic way is this is just the new way. Yeah. And we're just moving ahead and, uh, just go with it, man. You know, just get yourself some Netflix <laughs> and, uh, you know, you could still sneak your, your M&Ms into the movies if you want. And Benny, I got to say, we're I feel like we're getting better quality content like per hmm. day. Like it used to be like, let's translate this to alcohol, right? Like it's like you got this really nice bottle of wine and, you know, you saw it, it grow and, and everything like that. And he waited, I don't know, six months to a year to reach its peak and consume it, and it was wonderful. Now we're getting that same bottle of wine every single day, and sometimes you don't even need to pay for it. Sometimes it's just free out there on like YouTube, and it's studio-quality stuff. So I think that that is wonderful how we're getting all this stuff all of the time. And as soon as the studios and all of these major companies made the decision to go, hey, we're going to go streaming platform and kind of forsake the box office it itself, the industry was completely different. And, you know, it, it turned into, hey, can we get you subscribed to our service for $15 a month? And, you know, that people would rather pay $15 a month to watch it at home than to pay $20 for a night out and, and stuff like that. So, like we've said a million times on the show, it's 100% not sustainable. It's different, right. and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, this almost seems as if, like, now that you put it that way, it's as if the uh, like the middle class of movies has opened up, mm. and the upper class doesn't like it. Yeah, you right. know what I mean? <laughs> like, like they used to have, you know, uh, the you know their hands like six movie studios, even less maybe, just had. They had the drip. They controlled everything up top and the things they didn't want went straight to the lower class of movie making, straight to independent land, (laughs) you know, and now there's this other middle class channel because you can get like a Netflix or a Hulu or something like this to throw you five million dollars to make it ten million dollars to make it, which still seems to make very, very high quality things. Mm. And now they don't get to just keep it all at the top spending you know 200 million dollars on their films so maybe that's one of the reasons that these execs are upset is because it kind of opened up the landscape a little bit 
And also, let's not forget, this is this guy is the guy that greenlit Saturday Night Fever, and so all of the problems that are, are in that movie, I was like, that's going to be my picture. Um, <laughs> one pork chop. <laughs> one. No, but I mean, it's You just... always hit my head, Dad. You hit it. You hit my head. I mean, so. just a complete disregard for women and minorities in that oh, movie was something awful. else. If we're going to bring up, you know, like I, I know you've bashed Blues Brothers on this show plenty of times, but if we're going to bash Blues Brothers and play cancel, go ahead and bash we, we got to cancel Night Sa- Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> yeah, we'll by toss the way, it in there. Sure. Those two studios, Paramount, shell of itself, 20th Century Fox is Disney now. So how how good of a job did Barry do setting up the f- future? Not at all. So yeah, just hit the golf course, Barry. <laughs> All right, Benny. I feel like you know. I feel like the show's turning a corner. We've hit the optimism part. The future of movies is bright. Um, Benny, you know, the NBA Finals have been really good. I know yeah. that they've been two ten-point uh, victories by, by the Suns, but we've seen some history here. So I want to get into the NBA Finals real quick here. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, my guy, is playing uh, playing through a hyperextended knee. People were unsure whether he was going to be back for this series at all he came out and it's, it's absolutely incredible game one performance but game two he was sensational scoring 42 points 15 to 22 shooting one of the best postseason performances of his career and that we've quite frankly seen in the finals in over 30 years 20 total points in the third quarter a career playoff high for him and he joined impressive company with this in the process he is now the fourth player in nba history to score 20 points in a single quarter in the finals game joining michael jordan isaiah right. thomas joe dumars in the record books with this so not bad ben, I, I gotta serve this one up to you even if the bucks lose does Giannis still win in the court of public opinion yeah yeah i mean it well Listen, I mean, it's a long series. We don't know how it's going to play out. But, I mean, if you're just watching that game isolated yesterday, you're seeing absolute hero ball from one person. And, uh, you know, what do you call it for the rest of them? (laughs) Kid ball. I don't know, because it wasn't good. Yeah. But, fuck, the thing with Giannis that's uh, becoming more and more apparent as we go through these playoffs is if and when at this point, which I think is inevitability, he decides to step off the three-point line, which I think is happening, and it's happening soon. He is starting to collect a really, really like unbeatable and unstoppable bag of inside tricks. And I don't know about you. When I see that turnaround mm-hmm. with the knee out and I see – Giannis at his length going ahead and doing the Dirk Nowitzki <laughs> and crisping the net and and it coming I'm like whoa that's interesting because if he really can get this like left to right inside game on both sides like this is like Tim Duncan on crack like <laughs> I I don't know I mean it's really exciting when Giannis starts to play that role and starts to play within it and I think like you couldn't help watch last night's game and go like, damn, that guy's a beast. You know, that guy's a beast. Like he's playing through it. Everyone knows he's playing through it. He's barely grimacing. He's barely, you know, like, like he pulled out one of the very heroic performance last night. And I don't think people are going to forget that anytime soon, even if he, even if he bombed it in the next couple of games. Now, the thing about last night was, I mean, 
I'm watching that game and and every two minutes I'm thinking, oh, here they come. Yeah. Here they come. Here they come. And that's where yesterday really uh, just came down to shot making, which I think should make the Bucks fans feel good. Um, the Bucks played a very strong game and maybe a better game than the Suns yesterday. And it just came down to shots, just shots falling, which, you know, uh, the next game could be totally different than this one. I mean, fuck if the Bridges didn't make some shots on the other side and Crowder and Chris that I'm like, oh, I'm like, that's a force. That's a force. Boom, boom, boom. They're just all going in for Phoenix yesterday. So I think Milwaukee played a great game. Um, now, the thing they need to. This is where I, you know, I say the thing they need to do something about, they can't really do anything about because of their roster issues. And that's when, you know, you need Pat Connaughton on the floor. You need him. You need that space, especially when Tucker's on the floor at the same time. And listen, Chris Paul is a damn shark. Mm -hmm. The second he sees Chris or Pat Connaughton over there, he just sees blood in the water. He finds a way to get on him and he finds a way to get the action through Connaughton. And God forbid you put Jeff Teague out there. He puts him through the fucking Vitamix like every single time he sees him. So I I think uh, Milwaukee has a serious problem uh, defending this team. And I think P.J. Tucker has got to go. Like everyone thinks this was the answer. And uh, you can't have him out there um, with no one real to cover. And him just sitting in the corner, you know, hitting 35% of his threes. It's just, he's not bringing enough to the table. And I think they need to really rethink, um, you know, what Brooke Lopez and maybe a little more Portis minutes could do for them in this series. But that being said, Denny, listen, I think you still got a good chance. I know it's weird to say but I watched that game last night and I don't see why the Bucks couldn't at least imagine themselves as the better team after game two. And I think they could take that. Uh, they haven't lost a home game yet. Hmm. Series is never over until the home teams lost the home game, you know? So I think, uh, I think it's still kind of open, even though it's easy to, to to get into um some doom and gloom scenarios now here's here's one thing we got to talk about yeah i'm i'm pro chris middleton you know i think he's a really good player and i think at times he's asked to do uh more than he should you know what i mean um especially when Giannis was gone and he kind of stepped up real admirably but time and time again and i hate it with the modern nba and even i'm gonna gripe like an old man right now uh, you know, time and time again, Middleton's making this really, really nice first action, getting off the pick, making a first move, getting a step on his defender and getting towards the rim. And literally, I thought I saw it 10 times last night. I'm like, you're fucking six, seven. You're by the rim. You're a great free throw shooter. Can you fucking go up with it, please? Instead of popping the ball out to whoever on it. it that's the thing about it. It's not like, oh, look, there's a. Steph Curry sitting on the three-point line. You know what I mean? It's like, it's whoever's out there. Oh, let me forsake this uh, interior look so Jeff T can get a look <laughs> at three. Like, it's just not the way it should work. And when Holiday, Middleton, and Lopez have combined three, three free throw attempts throughout the entire game, 
Like there's something wrong with that philosophically. And I wish that uh, I wish they'd go up hard. I wish they'd get to the line. I wish they would slow down the game a little for Giannis like he needs, you know? Um, so that was my, my biggest gripes with it. But um, I think they do still have a chance. And if we're going on the optimism episode here, your boy Drew Holiday looks lost on offense sometimes. And to the point that it's, I don't want to say a liability because it was Eric Bledsoe last year, hmm. but man, I've never seen anybody bounce around on defense like that guy. Have you? There's a couple guys that I can think of over like the course of you know my time like watching basketball. But okay, you touched on a couple things that I want to talk about. Yeah, Chris Middleton is an alpha. For some reason, whenever Giannis is out there on the floor with him. Chris Middleton is like, I'm that guy from Detroit again that should just be coming off the bench. He loses mm. all confidence, and I don't understand why on earth there was a part in the game, I believe it was the end of the third quarter, where he has a drive on the baseline, and then he kicks it out to, I want to say, like Bryn Forbes or Pat Connaughton in the corner when if you're an all-star and it's a playoffs and you're down, there's no reason you're kicking it out to scrubs on the bench to try to hit a corner three. So that's one thing. Chris Middleton, you're capable of also going for 30 points in this game. Have a have a two-man game between you and, and Giannis. Bucks win this se- series easily. But outside of the three that we're talking about, and Drew Holiday, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the moment. I don't know what's happening with him uh he can lock down anybody but what we saw in uh um in in the brooklyn series a couple times where at the end of the game he 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 would get over get to the rim and get those easy buckets that's what he's there to do that's why he's making the big money and that kind of alleviates some of the burden when phoenix is just going down the court and hitting every single three-pointer they take so that's that and then the other thing here is you're absolutely right. Bucks roster construction, not meant to beat a team like the Suns. They're older than the Suns, so the Suns have the youth. They've got a couple. They're a team that is going to get expensive very, very quickly because a guy like Bridges is playing playing his yeah. way into a, a big contract. Cam Johnson, campaign. All of these guys that are role players for them are better than throwing out Jeff Teague, who Jeff Teague in 2021 is getting fourth quarter playoff minutes. Are you kidding me? And I'm trying to keep this the optimistic episode, Benny. (laughs) But when Mike Budenholzer thinks that this is Atlanta circa, I don't know, 2013, 2014, we got a massive issue. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where you're right. And then, you know, uh, calling out the roster construction, because I think Budenholzer at that point is like, what do I do? Who do I trust? Who do I even trust to get us into the offense right now? And like, you just trust Jeff Teague to not fuck up. Yeah. That's why Jeff Teague's out there right now. So, you know, it's partial roster construction. I mean, it dates all the way back to Brogdon mm. and the move they decided to do there. The DiVincenzo injury, you know, rings more and more uh, yeah. uh, crucial in this series, right? Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But what is that? Bryn Forbes and Pat Connaughton scrubs on the corner. Oh, man, you really are in a bad place. Listen, listen. Okay, I Pat's good. Pat's had a lot of great moments for the Bucks over the years. But if you're Chris Middleton and you have a chance to get the bucket, it's 
it's more of a mindset thing. If I'm Chris Middleton and, and, and I'm on the drive with that shot and I know who I am in this league and I see you in the corner, I'm like, I am not passing it to you because I'm, I may love you as a teammate, but yeah. use a scrub. It's like someone needs to go up to him every time out and just be like, Chris, you're an Olympian. Yeah. He's going the Come Olympics. on, bro. You're an Olympian. You got this. You know what yeah. Chris Middleton needs? And I, he needs a brother or a cousin on the team like Giannis is, <laughs> is for Giannis. Because, quite frankly, and here's why the Bucks roster construction sucks, okay? The Suns, right? I don't care if they're trying to get Chris Paul or, or Devin Booker to sign a max deal. They're not putting... A, a Booker brother or or Cliff Paul on the bench to be a hype man. What is this? Like I, I think they need it. I think they need Troy Middleton over there. Oh to keep my him, goodness! Keep him it's, hyped up. It's so crazy to me. Listen, I love the honest. I love the Antetokounmpo brothers, and if it helps keep Giannis happy, that's great. But when you go down to these rotations, it's like if he's just in the corner being the hype man. That's that's one expensive hype man. Yeah, it's an expensive fight, man. So. Also, it's a, it's a thin roster in the NBA. You yeah. kind of need all those spots. So, but that's a conversation for when this series. So, is what over do you think? With. How are you feeling? Are the Bucks getting out of this? I think they get Game Three because Milwaukee's ready to explode. Yeah. Um, and 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 potentially, you know, we could be going back to Phoenix with it tied, but I just don't see this team winning a game on the road, and Phoenix has home court. So, yeah, all I'm right. at the point where I'm. I'm fully rooting for the Bucks, just because I'm so sick of Suns and Four guy. Oh, I mean, Ew, get out of here! Bucks fans can't complain. They've been doing Bucks and Six since Brandon Jennings. So, <laughs> um, but all right, just one more quick NBA question, and then we will wrap this thing up. Chris Paul, he scored more prior to last night in the last game of the Clippers series and the game one against the Bucks. That was his. Biggest offensive output he's ever had in his entire career. Chris Paul knows what this moment means. He's waited forever to get here. My question for you, Benny, is what would a title mean for CP's legacy? It's it's huge. Yeah. I mean, I already think uh, CP greatly changed his legacy already yeah. with what he's done. Because if you asked most NBA people two years ago, when he went to Oklahoma City, you would have thought, okay, 34 years old, he's getting marooned. He's going to you know, maybe play out some time, maybe get injured. This is the end of Chris Paul, right? Mm-hmm. That's what most people thought. Not only did he change their minds being like, oh, he just led this team to the playoffs? Really? And then good enough to get to the Suns? They're like, oh, is he really the answer to the Suns? Can he take the Suns anywhere? And then by mid-season, everyone's like, oh, Suns are really good. Chris Paul's healthy. You know, and now, you know, by the end of the season, the Chris Paul legacy had completely shifted. And now it's in like overdrive. Yeah. Where I think um he's now in this very, very elite group of probably the top five, three point guards in NBA history, right? It's yeah, getting up there. Yeah. Um, the only thing I could see now is like if the Bucks came back and even though Chris Paul has had like one of the more heroic runs that you've ever seen going on right now, the long-term legacy, if he blows this, will be Chris Paul can't get out of the finals. Ooh. 
um, Chris Paul can't get out of these big games because then you're just going to compound the Clippers stuff and the New Orleans stuff to this stuff. And it's going to be like regular season champion. He's going to go straight into like John Stockton, Carl Malone territory, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I think, I don't think you often see someone's legacy being so obviously like, uh, shaped shaped exactly by by the current situation i think we're we're fully in like unique nba history writing situation where depending on this series like bill simmons is going to put him either number 18 or number number 40 on the on the all-time on the all-time list and it's strange to see a guy like acknowledging it in like real time like like you see the way he's like carrying himself like chris paul knows what this is he knows and he knows i think that you're exactly right if this falls apart for chris paul oh my gosh like i don't know it's funny how two games away can change the entire perception of somebody when they give that hall of fame speech be like oh i know he finally got it um, I feel bad for him in yeah. a way because, you know, we've seen this happen all the time. Like, like Jason Kidd is in a separate category as Chris Paul just because he won that last ring. But Jason Kidd only helped that right. team. You know what I mean? Jason Kidd wasn't the reason the Mavericks won that finals. You know, if Chris Paul does it. He's a pretty big fucking reason why they won that finals. So that's where it's even more impressive. This isn't like this isn't one of those late. I'm 36. I'm kind of hopping on a good team and mm. making them a little better. And I'm going to get my chip. Like he threw this fucking thing on his back. And that that's even more impressive, you know? Yeah. And uh, sh- shout out to James Jones, though, just before I wrap up sure. here. GM of the Phoenix Suns uh, was on those Miami Heat teams with LeBron. He's LeBron's guy. Some said uh, that LeBron wanted to kind of move him over to be the GM of the Lakers. But um, just an incredible roster construction here. I mean, when you just go down, I mean, like we talked about before, I just kind of can't get over it because I think that, you know, when you're talking about the Suns, most people aren't watching them or weren't. I feel like they're going to get a lot more national TV love now. Um, Devin Booker turning into a bona fide superstar in front of oh, yeah. our eyes. Talk about, you know, we've talked about uh, when we talked about Danny Ainge stepping down, we've talked about guys missing in the draft you now on horse is kind of guilty of this too in milwaukee you want to talk about a guy who has hit in the draft james jones he that guy has not missed i mean even you know you look at uh, uh people were skeptical of what cam johnson was going to be cam johnson's stepping up and hitting shots in the finals he had he's got a great eye for talent and i'm excited to see what the future of his basketball life is where's jalen smith yeah. <laughs> but I was going to see him by now. I like that kid. That's oh, uh, true. You got to give Jones uh, all all types of credit. I mean, this roster was, was put together really well, you know. Um, but again, like this roster uh, with a DeAndre Ayton four months ago and like an injured Chris Paul is so much different. That's where like uh, the stars really did align for this one. You know, the stars are aligned over Phoenix this year. Let's say that they even managed to get a tough guy viral video, you know. <laughs> From Phoenix. Um, oh, I want to. I kind of want to like. No, I don't want to say. It. I don't want to say it. On no, wax. say it. Say it. Say no, it. I don't want to say it on wax. You're gonna say these days. These days, you'll be in like a celebrity boxing match <laughs> before you know it or something. Let's just say 
I don't like this Suns and Four situation guy and all this stuff around it. It's ugly. It's some barstool shit. Get it out of my fucking face, man. Are we going to stream it on uh, the TuneUp YouTube channel? Ben no, I will not be fighting anybody for anything. That's some bullshit, too. Okay. Like, what am I? What am I going back to the frat house? Come on. I'm a lifelong punk rocker for a reason. I don't do that shit. What, you want to arm wrestle and fucking celebrity? Fuck you. Let's, let's have a talk, you know? By the way, Benny, be, before we go, I just want to shout out a listener that sent in a great video. Um, <laughs> we don't have quite time for a tune-up mailbag today, but we're going to end the optimistic episode talking about uh, this great video sent in by Mario. He's like, what's up, guys? Enjoy the show. Keep up the good work. Since it's the NBA Finals week and you guys are the music slash NBA matchup, I'd like to share this gem. Um, and it's <laughs> it's... It is a music video from I'm not sure what year it is, but it's got Bird, it's got Magic in it, and it is a music video of Loverboys working for the weekend featuring um, as like a NBA Finals hype video. Yeah. I sent it to you. Phenomenal. Really good. Phenomenal stuff. Really, really good. And <laughs> if someone could manage to get Larry Bird to come do more music now, I would really be thankful for it. I would. Let's revisit Magic and Larry doing a song <laughs> now, please. please. Please, I would pay top dollar. <laughs> I will. Uh, I, I will share that on the Tune Up Twitter for everybody to enjoy. But if you want to get in contact with us, plenty of ways to do so. Uh, you can email us at the Tune Up Podcast at gmail You can tweet, Instagram, TikTok us at the Tune Up HQ. We're there on every platform that you want to get creative and and get active. Talk to us. If you want to follow the big man, he's at Benny Horowitz. One number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallier. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah. This week, recommit to kindness. Trickle it down. Let's try to make the world a little bit better. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to the Tune Up.